Hello, I'm John Gonzalez, and we're talking to you from beautiful, sunny, often cloudy Columbus, Ohio at True FM Online. Hi, I'm Jack DeRoy, Jeff's law partner. We're here to talk about legal issues that confront most people. We're lawyers with the B Hall Law Group located in Columbus, Ohio. You can find us on the web at B Hall Law, which is B as in boy, E H A L, B Hall Law.com. We handle a variety of business matters. We also do divorce work, probate work, but primarily we're business lawyers. We'll be talking about non-compete agreements today, but before we get started, I'd like to remind our audience that we provide this podcast as a service to the community. While we try to provide quality information, we're not giving legal advice that you can rely upon in your situation. Why is that, you ask? Because legal advice has to be tailored to the circumstances of each case. Nothing we say in a podcast can substitute for the advice you should seek from an attorney in a private meeting if you have a legal problem. With that said, Jack, why don't you tell us what is a non-compete agreement and what's the theory behind it? A non-compete is a contract designed to protect an employer's interest, usually in terms of the employer's contacts with its customers. So let's think about a typical scenario. We have a manufacturer and a top salesperson. That salesperson who has been with the manufacturer for a number of years leaves. Who's the primary point of contact with those manufacturer customers? Well, it's the salesperson. So that employer, that manufacturer needs some amount of time to reestablish those contacts because otherwise, guess what happens? Those contacts follow the salesperson who just left. I see the uh, theory behind a non-compete for somebody that's uh, maybe a top salesperson for a big company. What about uh, non-competes for people that work in service industry or maybe like hairstylists? You know, I don't think you see it too often, but you will see it. And in those situations, it's probably not going to be enforceable. I remember reading about a major sandwich shop that had non-competes for its sandwich makers. Well, how nuts is that? I mean, these poor guys are making maybe 10 bucks an hour. All they do is make sandwiches. They shouldn't be subject. So I think that was a great overreach. And there are probably overreaches in other situations. So the idea is that the non-compete is designed to protect a bona fide business relationship. You said it's a contract or an agreement. So uh, what happens if the employee breaches the agreement? Well, if the employee breaches the agreement, he's going to find himself subject to a court proceeding, assuming it's worth pursuing. So these contracts make clear that a violation of the contract is going to subject you to a court proceeding, and the employer is going to ask for an injunction, meaning he's going to ask the court to stop that employee from using those contacts, from soliciting those customers. And an injunction is a special proceeding in the court, and um, our audience may not know this, but it actually takes precedent over all other civil matters. So the injunction is heard pretty close to, uh, to the time of filing, right? Oh, yeah. Once those papers get filed, the attorneys for the employer will, get a, will a- attempt to get a temporary restraining order. They'll get that within a matter of days. And then they will endeavor to have a hearing within 14 days on what's called a preliminary injunction that will carry through till the case is tried. So in short order, you can find yourself 
at the wrong end of a lawsuit. Sure, you you may be under a court order to stop working immediately until the case is resolved. Exactly. So you're you're stuck. You're frozen in time. What makes a non-compete agreement uh, enforceable from the employer side? Well, there are three criteria, and the first one is it can't be more restrictive than necessary to protect the employer's interest. Okay, so tell us what that means in plain speak. How enforceable the provision is depends on the employer's situation. So how long does that employer need to reestablish those contacts? Does he need six months? Does he need a year? Does he need two years? Does he have a certain geography that he has to protect? It might be that this salesperson covered, let's say, within Columbus, maybe a 20-mile diameter with Columbus being at the center. It might be a whole county or two counties where this salesman was actively promoting. So those are the types of issues that go in to determine the breadth of that restriction and whether it's enforceable. Because if it's too broad, then the court can whittle it down. So are you saying that the uh, duration of the non-compete should be tied to a particular business's business cycle? You know, I've never heard it phrased that way, but sure, it could be. So for instance, if this salesperson is regularly involved in putting together deals where he's providing services for a year, well, the employer has a good position to say, well, at the end of a year, I lose this customer. So maybe I need two years to preserve that relationship. And I would think on the other end of a spectrum, I'd mentioned hairstylists. If they've got people coming in every 30 days to 45 days, then maybe the uh, the cycle would be a little bit smaller and the term of the non-compete shorter. I think that's all part of the calculus that goes into determining the breadth of the restriction. What's the second element? The second element is it can't produce or it can't present any undue hardship for the employee. Well, you would think that any restriction may be a hardship on the employee. Well, any restriction on the employee is a hardship, but the way the courts ask the question is whether it presents an undue hardship on the employee. That's a subject that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime, I think, in most of the decisions you and I read. I remember a case years ago where the argument was made by a private investigator who was under a uh, non-compete. And I was thinking about undue hardship, and his point was all he had ever done was to be a, a PI. He had no other education, training in any event, anywhere, in any other field. And uh, he had a, a visitation uh, with uh, his children pursuant to a divorce. So he didn't know how to do anything else and couldn't leave the state to go somewhere else to be a private investigator. And as I recall, the court was sold that that was an undue hardship on him particularly. So you said there were three elements. What's the third element? Well, the third one is harm to the public. And that's a pretty intriguing issue because I don't think you see a lot of discussion about this third point in most of the cases. What to me is interesting is that non-competes are enforceable for doctors. So you would think a court might say, well, why do I want to stop a doctor from practicing? Doesn't that necessarily create harm for the public? There's one less physician to tend to this group of people. But I haven't seen that discussion in these non-compete cases involving doctors. I can give you an example. Go ahead. But it, it is really more by our ethical rules. Go ahead. Uh, lawyers cannot um, enforce non-competes against other lawyers. The client has an absolute right 
to whatever representation the client wants. Oh, I, you know, I never thought of that. That's a great one. So courts won't uphold a, uh, a non-compete where a young lawyer leaves a law firm and that person's uh, clients want to go with him. The uh, law firm can't stop it. Wow. I had a case where my client breached a non-compete. He was in contract with the Department of Administrative Services for the state of Ohio. I was arguing on his behalf that if he was enjoined from continuing this work, it would harm the state of Ohio because it was a big IT contract. And I had two people from the Department of Administrative Services testify to that effect. I got nowhere with that one. Wow. <laughs> they were able to keep them from competing. Then. They did. Right. So it didn't work with that magistrate. Maybe it would work with another. But the overall point is this harm to the public is a tough one to capture, I think. So in terms of litigation, though, what would the employer or the employee be looking at? Every time or almost every time a lawyer drafts one of these provisions, he sticks in it an attorney fee provision. So the loser is going to pay the other side's fees. So if you're being enjoined as the employee, you're being stopped, you also run the risk of having to pay the employer's attorney fees. Another problem is the that employer is more than likely going to sue your new employer as well. So now you're running the risk of harming your relationship with your new employer. And I don't know how often it happens, but you might also run the risk of being asked to disgorge whatever profit you made from these contacts that you're now soliciting. So it can be a bad day for an employee who breaches a non-compete agreement. I think one of the things that our firm does with its employers when we're counseling them about new hires is to have the new employee sign off that they're not under a non-compete or any type of confidentiality agreement with the former employee. That helps in, in the sense if the employee and the new employer are both sued. Absolutely. And in fact, I've had cases where I was trying to allay the concerns of the new employer about the non-compete. And even though I thought the non-compete was rather weak and not enforceable, boy, the new employer didn't want anything to do with it for reasons that you can understand. So any uh, takeaways for our audience? Well, sure. If you're an employee and you're asked to sign a non-compete agreement, think about where you might be five or 10 years from now. When you just get the job, all you can think about is how good the job will be and all the benefits. And so you're more than likely willing to overlook things like a non-compete agreement. But you have to think, okay, if I leave, how is this going to affect me five or ten years from now? So you ought to try at that point to try to negotiate out the provision. You may not succeed, right? It just may be a hard and fast line for the employer, but your best chance of getting rid of the non-compete is right there at the beginning of the relationship rather than when you leave and the employer feels threatened. Sure, and I think uh, if you're stuck in a situation where you're going to have the non-compete, making it as least restrictive as possible by time and duration and uh, location is probably important, which takes us to takeaways for the employer. Well, for the employer, you want to make sure you've got a provision that is reasonable. If it's overly restrictive, the court might tailor it down. The term of art used in the courts is to blue line the agreement. 
So you might spend a lot of time and effort fighting over an agreement that the court says, you know, I'm not buying it. I'm cutting down this three-year restriction to one year, or I'm cutting down this 100 miles to 20 miles. So think about, don't be onerous, be reasonable. I know that in my practice, I spend time uh, looking at non-competes for friends and family members, so it seems like it's very prevalent in Ohio. Do you spend a lot of time with it, too? I don't spend a lot of time, but I've had my fair share. And what's interesting, <laughs> you know, I have people walk into the office and they say, hey, I hear, I hear you can't enforce these things. Now, I don't know where that street knowledge comes from, but that's what I hear from people. Sure. Ohio law is very protective of employers, so... Uh, Jack and I would ask you if you've got a specific question about a specific non-compete agreement, contact us through our website, B-E-H-A-L-L-A-W.com, behallaw.com, and Jack and I will be happy to uh, answer your questions. That's Thanks right. for listening. Yeah, thanks for having us today.